morning. Have your Bibles open at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that would be wonderful. We're working our way through this amazing book of the Bible together and we're going to be looking at it in depth. So let's pray, let's ask for God's help as we come to his word this morning. Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. You haven't left us in the dark and we ask now as we look into your word, as we dig into this amazing passage, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to the truth of your son Jesus where we find the deepest desires of our hearts. We pray it in his wonderful name. Amen. Well, the big question in front of us this morning is where do you find the deepest pleasure you could ever get, your happiness. Everyone wants it, don't they? Happiness and pleasure. Where do you go? What are you looking at? What are you trying to get out of the things of this world? Are you trying to get, where are you looking to, to get your pleasures and happiness? In an article entitled, The Attitudes of Australians to Happiness and Social Wellbeing, put out by the Australia Institute, the uh, writer surveyed average Aussies and asked them this question. Which of the following is most important to you in regard to your own happiness and well-being? One, a good uh, workplace. Two, fulfilment in what you do. Three, your partner, your spouse, your family relationships. Money was four, financial security. Religious Spiritual life was five, community and friends, six, and health was seven. And 60% of people surveyed said relationships was the place they looked to for their happiness and their well-being. 18% said health, followed by community, friends, religious beliefs. 4% of Aussies said they look to money to find their pleasures and happiness, which is a bit surprising, isn't it? Because when you realise that 80% of Australian adults gamble in some form. We're the highest rate of gambling on the planet. Horses, AFL, lotto, whatever it is. So it appears that we Aussies know that money's not going to make us happy, but we're willing to give it a try anyway. A few years ago, a friend of mine uh, shared with me that he was in line to inherit between two and three million dollars. And he said every time he thought about receiving that money, his heart would start pounding. Like, wow, this is going to change me. This is going to be amazing. This is going to give me everything I've desired. Is that what would happen to you? Think about it for a sec. I'm going to inherit two or three million dollars. How would you feel? Where do we go to find the joys, the pleasures of our lives? You see, pleasure is not a, bl- a bad thing. We're actually designed for pleasure and joy. The problem is where we look to for it. C.S. Lewis had this amazing quote. He says, It is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as they can. You see, we're made for enjoyment. We're made for pleasure. The problem, problem isn't what, it's where. Where do we go for that pleasure? And the book of Ecclesiastes, as we know, as we've been working through it, exposes where the answers are not. And we're going to do that again this morning. If you've been with us, you know that the big question of the book is, where do we go to find 
meaning, satisfaction, the deepest desires of our hearts. And the teacher has already outlined the answer. He said, there's nowhere on earth you'll find it. Everything is meaningless. You almost get bored of that phrase as you read the book. You're going to, as we read through it, you're going to go, are you kidding me? Again with the meaningless? Yes, it's repetition to make a point. Everything is meaningless. And we saw that that word meaningless, it doesn't really capture meaningless, that word doesn't capture the, the gist of it. It's more like the stuff that comes out of your mouth on a cold winter morning. Vapour, mist. Here one second, gone the next. That's what he's saying. Life under the sun is like. Again, under the sun is an Ecclesiastes phrase that means looking out there at life, if you just looked out and tried to make sense of it, without a personal word from the creator of the universe. And so he's gone about testing everything. He's given us his uh, conclusion. Everything's a vapour, everything's meaningless. Now I'm going to show you, because I'm going to actually test all the big ticket areas of life, and this morning it's pleasures. And the big thing we see is that the pleasures of this world are empty and ending. Have a look at verse 3 if you've got your Bibles open. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse, uh, sorry, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But this also proved to be meaningless. He shows us both his intention and his conclusion. His intention is to explore the value of pleasure, to test his own heart. He's actually testing his own inner being, that word heart, your inner being. I'm going to test myself. That's his intention. And his conclusion again is, the pursuit of pleasure in the world is vapour out of your mouth on a cold morning. So he's told us that. And now he shows us he proves his point by showing us what he did. As we read it, I don't know if you went, man, this guy is loaded. Have a look from verse 2. Laughter, I said, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? So I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens, another way of saying under the sun, during the few days of their lives. Here's what he did. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees, reservoirs, that's pools to water, groves of flourishing trees. I bought, he purchased male and female slaves, other slaves in my house. I acquired more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Kept going. I amassed gold and silver for myself, the treasure of the kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. Far out. The delights of a man's heart. It's like he's going to a bunch of treasure chests. They're all lined up. He opens the treasure chest. He looks in. Nope, that's not going to work. Try this one, try this one, try this one. But he does everything, doesn't he? He must be loaded. And every time, it comes up empty. Alcohol, tried to cheer himself with wine, didn't work. Achievements, made parks and gardens and vineyards, didn't work. Possessions, bought, slaves, herds, flocks, more than anyone in Jerusalem, didn't work. Money, silver, gold, didn't work. Sex, singers, harems, didn't work. Do you see what this is? This is a window into a world that most of us will never know. 
a world of amazing wealth and opulence. He's done it all, more than we could ever do, and what happens? Well, he says in verse 9, what happened? He became greater, have a look, verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. He's done it all. He refused his heart no pleasure. Can you believe that? And he found some joy in his labour. That's okay. Friends of ours um, a few years ago bought a house and moved it onto their block of land down in the countryside. And it was an old house. And they set about fixing it up. They took years and years. It was a beautiful old house, wraparound verandas, the whole old school thing. And did the inside, the outside, planted fruit trees, made a tennis court. And if you went there, you're like, this is amazing. And then they got old. And we visited it again. They were old, they'd left it. Guess what? The weeds were up here. There were cracks in the verandas. There's kangaroo poo on the, ca- on the tennis court. Definitely don't want to play tennis on that one. What's the conclusion of all this? Have a look, verse 11. When I surveyed all my hands, everything I'd done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The pleasures of the world are empty. But more than that, they're not just empty. They're ending. Flick to verse 17. What happens? He contemplates all his labour, his projects, and every pursuit of pleasure, and it's not a happy place, is it? The second time in the, in the book already he said he hated life is right here. Verse 17, see? I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I have to leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows if this person is wise or a fool? Yet they have control over the fruit of my toil into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. It's meaningless. All his striving, all his work, all his labour, what's the end result? He has to leave it to someone else. You can't help but think of King Solomon here, whether he wrote it or didn't. 1 Kings 10 says that he amassed a massive wealth. 1 Kings 10 Verse 23 tells us that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience to King Solomon. Year after year they brought him gifts of silver and robes and weapons and spice and horses and mules. How long did it take for his son Rehoboam to lose it all? Four days. Four days. Do you remember Lang Hancock? When he died... 27th of March, 1992, his wife on one side, his daughter on the other, Gina Reinhardt, Rose Porteous, squabbling over their millions that they were going to inherit, that they had not worked for, but they were going to get... What do you think Lang was thinking? And he's lying, this is a sad story. Would he not be thinking, you are fools. I'm leaving all my stuff I worked for Under the sun, 
the pleasures of the world are empty and they're ending. And again, if we leave it there in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're very depressed, aren't we? But we know that's not where it ends. Have a look at C.S. Lewis again, what he says. This is an amazing quote. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we can't imagine what it meant, what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So the question before us is, are we far too easily pleased? Are we making mud pies in the slums, trying to suck out as much pleasure from the world as we can? Or just by default, we just get up and think, I'm going to make the most of my day today and make it as good as I possibly can for me from the world. When there's a mansion by the beach waiting for us. But we have our eyes on the mud pie and not the mansion. The pleasures of this world are empty and ending. But under the sun, Jesus Christ, the pleasures of God are full and forever. Phil read the start of Psalm 16. I'm going to flick to verse 11, which is my favourite verse. Listen to this. This is amazing. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So according to God, according to the Bible, according to the God who made absolutely everything, where do we go for fullness of joy and where do we go for pleasures that last forever? In his presence. You see, this comes back to who we think God is. Who is the God we trust? If the God we trust is happy in and of himself, is the source of all pleasure, and in himself is blessed, is happy, then he ought to be the one in which we look to to find our joy and our pleasure. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, says, this is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Did you get that? We'll put it in English. This is the good news of the glory of the happy God. You see, God is in and of himself happy. He takes pleasure in himself, and more specifically, in his son Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing of the gospel is that God shares his pleasure and joy and delight with us. So, when Jesus is speaking about the good and faithful servants in Matthew, he calls them to enter into the joy of your master. Whose joy is it? The master's joy. What are we called to do? Enter into that joy. Now have a look at what he says to his disciples. In John 15, Jesus says to you and to me, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you get that? Jesus speaks to us that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be half full. No, no, no. 
God wants you to be happy. But not in his stuff. In him. Now I have three beautiful kids, Kate, Sam and Lucy. I won't uh, embarrass them. But imagine if Kate, Sam and Lucy came home from school or TAFE or work or whatever. And there I am at the front door. They walk straight past me to the fridge. Don't acknowledge me. Nothing. Go straight to the fridge and eat the pizza and the hot dogs that I've prepared. But more than that, they start raving about how good the pizza is. Man, this pizza's amazing. That's making me so happy. And here I am, their father, waiting for a cuddle. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Where are you finding your joy? Not in the father's stuff, in the father himself. In his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what Jesus has done for us. Have a look, Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this is the final one we're going to look at, but there's two amazing things in this. Did you see them? The first one is, who's at the right hand of the throne of God? Jesus. In Psalm 16, where is fullness of joy and pleasures forever? The right hand of God. So all of a sudden, we're getting sharper, aren't we? Where do we go to for fullness of joy and pleasures forever? It's Jesus Christ. Now, how do we get there? Most of us already know the way. It is through the cross. Have a look again. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so what's the joy that's set before Jesus as he goes to the cross? It's you and me. He goes to the cross so that we can have fullness of joy. The only way for you to have joy is in the crucified Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. So, the joy set before him is you and me in his presence forever. The one who made up the whole idea of joy, who made up the whole idea of pleasure, says, come. Instead of my kids walking past me to the fridge and eating the pizza and the hot dogs, they come to me and say, Dad! Cuddles, warmth, joy. And then they go to eat the pizza and hot dogs. You're allowed to eat them. Uh, John Piper, in this amazing book, if you want to look at this more, the pleasures, his book, The Pleasures of God, is amazing. If you want to mine the depths of how joyful and pleasure-filled God is in and of himself and how he shares that. Look at John Piper, The Pleasures of God. But he says this, Imagine being able to enjoy what is most enjoyable with unbounded energy and passion forever. That's not our experience. Three things stand in the way of our complete satisfaction in this world. Three things. One is that nothing has personal worth great enough to meet the deep desires of our hearts. Two, we lack the strength to savour the best treasures to their maximum. Three, the third obstacle to your complete joy and satisfaction is that our joys here come to an end. 
And that's the book of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? But what if there's something that has personal worth great enough to meet the deepest desires of your heart, to fill you? What if there's someone who doesn't lack the strength not only to be our greatest treasure, but also to give us the ability to savour that treasure in our lives? What if there's one who can give us joy that never ends? Here's the question as we finish up. Are we too easily pleased? Are we settling for mud pies in the slums when our father's mansion is by the beach? Pleasures of the world are empty and ending. The pleasures of God are full and forever. Two things as we finish up. Make your pleasures full and forever. How do we make our pleasures full and forever? Don't waste your life in pursuit of pleasures that are empty and ending. You look back on your life and you've given it to pleasures of the world, you've wasted it. Stop. We know where to access the pleasures of God. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for you. He is our source of joy. So we get up each morning and we rejoice. If you're a Christian, you must get up every morning and remind yourself of the gospel of the happy God. For you. Make your pleasures full and forever. And lastly, enjoy life to God's glory. Matt, are you saying that we can't enjoy anything? No. But when you enjoy that glass of red wine or that steak or the achievement that you've done or your kids have done, when you do that, are you trying to suck the pleasure out of it? Or are you turning it around and saying, thank you, God, you be the, to you be the glory? And are you seeing what that pleasure is supposed to point you to? Every little pleasure of this world is a sneak peek of the pleasures of God. When we enjoy something, God is saying to you, enjoy it, and then remember what's on offer. That's just a taster. That's just a sneak peek of what's in store for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. The pleasure is designed to point you to the fullness of joy and pleasures forever. Under the, under the sun, the pleasures of the world are empty and ending. Don't be fooled. Under the sun, Jesus Christ, the pleasures of God are full and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for opening up our world to the truth and helping us to see that the pleasures of this world just don't last. They will never do what we want them to. But Father, thank you so much for revealing your Son. Thank you that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, which is us, in your presence, with fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We pray it in his powerful and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well,